Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. There's news in the NFL today, and it's time to break it down in the only way we know how. Hot Rock Style. Earl! Johnny! With our spin on football headlines with a mix of frozen tundras. Let's be a cold weather team. Neck rolls. And grass-stained jerseys. The good old-fashioned guts was probably the biggest difference in the game. Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of Hot Routes. Matthew Collar along with Jonathan Harrison here and... Wow, Jonathan, they uh, gave us a lot to talk about. <laughs> just, just a couple of games, just a couple of small topics to discuss. I mean, I thought that we should start by going bowl game by bowl game and really yes. breaking down all the results. And then maybe if we get around to the NFL, we'll talk about one or two things that happened. Uh, I have to say, I, we shouldn't even waste any time with more of an intro and just get into the first question, because the first question is what was on everyone's mind. Was last weekend the most insane weekend of the NFL that you have ever seen in your life? Because you know, it's been many years of us watching the NFL, Jonathan. We've been uh, fans since kids and then worked in the industry. So we've probably watched every weekend of the NFL for many, many years And I remember lots of amazing endings to games, and I like to watch old games on YouTube and things like that and go back. But I don't remember one week having so many completely improbable, totally astonishing, blow your mind. You were at a wrestling event when I texted you. Please tell me you just (laughs) saw what happened with the Raiders. Yes. Uh, I mean, so many things went on, including the largest comeback in history, an insane overtime win by the Jacksonville Jaguars on a actually a great throw by Dak Prescott that bounced off the receiver's hands for the Jaguars to stay alive. We're going to talk about that a little bit as well. So I want you to use all the hyperbole in your body to describe what you saw and uh, <laughs> talk about just how insane this weekend was. Well, I think my my heart rate's still coming down from that Vikings game on on Saturday, and then it just spiked right back up with no less than nine one score games on Sunday, which is just a stupid amount of one score games in a season that's had plenty of them already, which is just like the amount of nine one score games this season has. I think it's, it's gotta be historic levels at this point. I don't know the exact numbers, but nine in one Sunday is just, I don't know that the American healthcare system can handle the skyrocketing heart rates of NFL football fans across this country with how close every single game is because you look at the Bears and Texans, both teams that are pretty much out of it at this point, they both took teams that are Super Bowl favorites in their respective conferences down to the wire. The Lions stunning not just the Jets, not just New Jersey, not just New York, no, the entire NFL world by turning around a 1-6 and six record into a 7-7 seven and seven record, and they are the hottest team in the NFL heading in to what looks like a first playoff berth in a couple of years for them. And that is one team that I don't think a lot of NFL team, NFC teams want to face because of how hot they are and how good they are on offense, which is, I don't think many people expected to say that about Jared Goff and, and the Detroit Lions offense, but that is an offense you do not want to go up against in the playoffs because they'll have all the momentum and they'll have a carefree attitude because they will have the feeling that they shouldn't, no one thought they should be there and it won't matter what happens from there on out. So that's a team I wouldn't want to place or play in the playoffs. Then you mentioned Dak Prescott uh, throwing what looked like a good pass, but bouncing off the hands and, and then uh Rayshon Jenkins returning it for a touchdown and then caller my Raiders. Oh, my well, Raiders. Now they're your Raiders. They're your yeah, Raiders now, this week. Now they're okay. my Raiders. Yeah. This week they're my Raiders. Uh, as you mentioned wrestling event, when you texted me, uh, about seeing the the ending, but I had to go back and watch this because ridiculous that they go up seventeen to three at halftime. 
Then they blow that lead and as Bill Belichick masterclasses the comeback against uh, against the young pupil Josh McDaniels and takes a 24-17 lead with, what, 343 left in the fourth quarter. Then, uh, then Derek Carr leads a nine-play, 81-yard drive to score a go or a game-tying touchdown. And then Jacoby Myers decides, I don't like being on the Patriots anymore. I'm just going to throw away my, my Patriots career, possibly my NFL career, by tossing the football with the tie game on the line. No time left, so it doesn't matter if you get tackled because guess what? There's an extra quarter if you get tackled. It doesn't matter if you score. You don't need to go all out. And he decides... Mac Jones is 20 yards back that way. Let's throw it to him for some reason. And Chandler Jones is like, all right, I'm 32. I don't care anymore. Let's pick this off and run it back for the game-winning touchdown. I, I I couldn't believe what I was seeing on in that game, let alone all day Sunday. It was an incredible day of action. And that's not even talking about the Saturday of action where we had one stinker of a game, but then both the, both the other games were fantastic games as well. Yeah, let's talk about the Raiders situation there. Um, what I don't understand is the Patriots have a chance to go down and potentially win that game. And they kind of fumble it up a little bit and they get the ball at midfield. And Bill Belichick, wow, says Mac Jones can't throw it to the end zone. Yikes. I mean, he can't. They were at like midfield. Aaron Rodgers could throw it to the end zone from like the opposing 30. But okay, I guess that's fine. Now your options in that situation, if you don't believe in the Hail Mary, are to kneel the clock out or to throw a pass over the middle of the field and just see if something crazy happens, somebody falls down. I mean, what happened in the Lions game, I know is a very different situation, but a tight end got wide open and then just ran to the end zone. And so, you know, you never know. Maybe there's one pitch involved at some point and somebody walks into the end zone. A Randy Moss to Mo Williams flip or something like that. That's the other option. None of the options are handed off to a running back, run 10 yards, and start throwing it around. If you're down by seven points, I feel like I shouldn't have to explain this, but if you're down by seven points, I get it. That's when you run that play, not when the game is tied because there's still plenty of ball to go. I mean, you can get a, even if you lose the coin toss, you can get a stop. Like again, explaining the rules to Matt Patricia who dialed up this play. You could get a stop. They can even allow a field goal and you could still have a chance to win the game. It's a complete coin flip. And you're asking your players to start heaving the ball around as if there was no chance that something could go wrong in that situation. Uh, Jacoby Myers is a good NFL wide receiver and I feel very bad for him uh, because it's worse than the butt fumble. It's one of the worst plays in NFL history. I think the only thing that I could think of that's comparable to doing something that bad is Jim Marshall running the wrong way. I, I don't know that there's anything similar to that. And there have been many, many bad plays. There's the, uh, you premium attempt to throw the ball, the field goal kicker, where it's you've probably seen the NFL yeah. films highlight where he's trying to throw it and it's just bouncing around all stupid. I mean, there have been many, many, many bad plays. There was I the Colts saw, lining up the punter behind the center and everybody else out wide and saying, This is gonna work. And yes, I think it was the Patriots like, we're just gonna blitz everybody. What are you doing? Yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. That is <laughs> that is one of the most ridiculous looking plays I've ever seen. The consequences were not anywhere near. <laughs> As bad as not only losing the game, but also getting your quarterback trucked like it was Tony Dorsett, just like, you know, Heisman pose for Chandler Jones. Uh, I kind of joked that, you know, that's what you or I would look like trying to tackle any (laughs) NFL player. We just get our heads stuffed into the turf. Uh, But that's that's how that looked. I don't understand what Jacoby Myers thought he was doing, what he saw. And if you look, I mean, even when you freeze frame it and you look, he sees Mac Jones back there, but what did he think Mac Jones was going to do with it? Like he can't throw a forward pass Jacoby. Like he would throw it back to Mac Jones and then he was going to run past everybody to the end zone or something. Like it didn't make any sense at all. And it's one of the single worst plays. The fact that they walked off on it is just so bananas. Uh, That one will be remembered forever, but you know, you didn't even bring up one of the best games, not the messy, crazy Jeff Saturday meltdown, which we'll talk about a bit here uh, as well. And, you know, some of the other ones, the interception by the Jaguars, those things had to have a bad element to it. 
the Miami Dolphins and Buffalo Bills played the game of the weekend, 32 to 29. It came down to the very last drive for Josh Allen in the snow. They're throwing snowballs all over the place. The referees are threatening to throw a penalty on the Bills if they keep throwing snowballs, even though there is no thing in the rule book that says you can actually do that. There's nothing in the rule book that says you can penalize the home team for throwing snowballs on the field. So they actually wouldn't have been able to do that. They were just making an empty threat. But the point being that that game was phenomenal. You had Tua, Josh Allen going back and forth at each other in the the snow globe there at Ralph Wilson Stadium, although this week is not going to be a snow globe for them. It's going to be horrific uh, for the Chicago Bears going to Buffalo. But I think that game was one of the single games of the year as far as two very, very talented teams going back and forth at each other, answering each other's scores, and Josh Allen proving that no matter what weather it is, he could still throw for 300 yards, run for 77 more, and if Buffalo was reeling a little bit a few weeks ago, especially after the Minnesota loss, uh, they have reestablished themselves with that win as the favorites for the Super Bowl. Yeah, and the Dolphins kind of reeling at this point now, coming off of losses to San Francisco, Brock Purdy, San Francisco, and now in Buffalo. And that's kind of one more uh, one more of one that you would have expected them to lose. Not the one against Brock Purdy and the San Francisco 49ers at that point with the third-string quarterback. But, yeah, I think the Dolphins kind of looking at things like, oh, this is not the time of season that we want to be stumbling because there's, what, three games left in the season. You do not want to be lo- on a losing streak going into the playoffs or – at eight and six in the AFC, because as we've seen in the NFC, things are very tight. They're very tight in the AFC as well. Eight and six, you you lose one more game. You're almost out of the playoffs at that point. And uh, just to highlight a couple of more, um, of course, you have to talk about Denver, Arizona. No, I'm just kidding. Oh my God. No, no. So, so bad. But uh, I mean, the, the game between Tampa Bay and Cincinnati, where Tampa Bay gets out to a really good start in that game then Tom Brady just completely falls apart which is not what you've ever come to expect from him but how about the Tennessee Titans what a journey it's been for the Tennessee Titans and for opinions about the Tennessee Titans so they start off the year not playing well and I remember we had our buddy Jace Frederick come on and talk football and he was saying look guys the Titans have a good coach they have a good team they're going to figure that out and Jace was almost right on Everything he said was going to happen, happened. And then they've completely collapsed now. And the Jaguars, because of that pick six in overtime, they're now right on the heels of the Tennessee Titans. Mm -hmm. They are back in this race. And you talk about roller coaster opinions. Trevor Lawrence, I think that though he had that blip against Detroit, we were on the right path with Trevor Lawrence because he has looked like a superstar really in the second half of the season, as we kind of expected under Doug Peterson to, for that to eventually show up. And yeah, the chargers too, like that. I mean, that needs to be talked about from that game as well. The chargers were kind of left for dead. And now who wants to play the chargers going into the playoffs, the way that Justin Herbert is playing. And uh, my super bowl pick from the beginning of the year, I think was San Francisco and the chargers and uh, it's, it's been a weird journey for both of those teams, but here we are. Uh, and so I think that there was a lot of significance. It wasn't just, oh, this crazy game, that crazy game, but it was also this actually means a lot to the way the playoff races are playing out. Yeah, and especially, and we haven't even talked about Giants and Commanders and what that means for the NFC East and, and the playoffs in the NFC, because with that win by the Giants, they now jump back above the commanders, I believe, and now they're in prime spot to be in the playoffs while the commanders are kind of teetering on that edge with Detroit breathing right down their necks. Uh, they only have the advantage because of the tie that they have. They have one less loss than the Lions at this point in the season. But, yeah, the commanders not wanting to lose that one, and they lose that one at home against the Giants who now uh, go to Minnesota on a Saturday and have to take on a Minnesota team that is coming off one of the one of the craziest comebacks in NFL history. So, yeah, I – Every single comeback win this this weekend felt like, as you mentioned, it mattered for not just that game, but for playoff purposes or seeding purposes. It's It was just ridiculous how things played out. It wasn't just a random crazy weekend. It all meant something as well. Now, there is a question to be asked about the comeback that, you know, normally when we do the show with Vikings fans, I'd be a little afraid. 
And I know there are a lot of Vikings fans who listen to this show as well, because that's how they found out about it. Yeah. But it has to be asked when it's put in the same category as Frank Reich. And uh, this is not Buffalo bias speaking. This is just facts, folks. The Houston Oilers in 1992 are a great football team. I mean, not one of the best teams ever, I wouldn't say, Mm -hmm. but they have a Hall of Fame quarterback a roster that had been together for a while. I can pull this up just to, to get a little detail on the 1992 Houston Oilers. I mean, this was a 10 and six team that was sixth in the NFL in scoring and ninth in defense. So you are talking about a very, very talented team that the bills with a backup quarterback came back. I don't think that's the same as coming back against Jeff Saturday's Colts. I mean, as we, as we talk about, and I labeled it for the post game podcast, greatest comeback. I think I was erroneous in my labeling. I mean, I think that it's the biggest comeback because that's just a fact. I don't know that it's the greatest comeback. I mean, it was spectacular. It was unbelievable. It had all sorts of moments that you'll remember forever. So I'm not taking away from it. I think I'm just saying that there have been some other comebacks the Patriots in the Super Bowl from 28 to three, you have to beat a team with an MVP quarterback. You have to beat a team that made it to the Super Bowl. That's different from beating maybe the most inept coach. I don't want to say in history because Urban Meyer was just there last year, but historically bad coaching, historically bad quarterback play from Matt Ryan, literally pro football focuses worst rated quarterback in the entire NFL. Like these things, they make it so it was, it was wild but it was not similar to what happened in the playoffs or in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I think I think giving it the title of greatest comeback in history is probably stretching the bounds of that word because the other comebacks that we're talking about, they happen in the playoffs and the Super Bowl. Obviously, those games mean more because of it. if you lose, you're out. This game, the Colts, they lose. They just go on and lose again next week, and that they'll just keep losing because Jeff Saturday is their coach, and it's just a bad situation there, and everybody kind of wants out at this point, it seems, in Indianapolis. Whereas those games, uh, yeah, Frank Reich having to come back in the playoffs is just – that's just an insane thing to have to do in the playoffs when you're down 32 points against the Houston Oilers and that defense and that offense. And, yeah, I think, I think those games and the Patriots coming back from 28-3 – mean more because of what the stakes were at the time, as opposed to, oh, if the Vikings do this, they they win the NFC North and they secure their spot in the playoffs. Congratulations. You still have to play next week because it's the regular season still. Those ones, you lose, you're done. And so those teams were fighting tooth and nail for their very survival and in those comeback wins. Right. I mean, Warren Moon had led the entire NFL in passing two years in a row in 90 and 91. Uh, He got banged up a little bit in 92 in the regular season, but like, that's what you were up against. And to find a way to come back against that team is, is something that won't ever be matched, but a good story though, by Kirk cousins today, he talked about how Frank Reich texted him and said that that comeback was so memorable that he's used it to try to inspire other people for a lifetime as like part of his story. So, yeah, I mean, these things, they'll stay with you forever. That will be in the record books. Every time a team is down by 30, that little graphic will pop up. It's only happened twice in history, once in Minnesota and once in Buffalo. Um, so, yeah. Frank Reich we... probably also liked the, cu- the comeback for other reasons as well, you know, because the Colts fired him. Oh, yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. 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 Right. It's probably also why he texted say, like, Cousins. He's like, oh, thanks for thanks for doing that to that team that fired me for no reason. And and that's the irony of the whole thing is that if Frank Reich is the coach, there is absolutely zero chance oh. they come back in that game. Nope. It had to be mismanaged in 50 ways sideways. Uh, but, you know, wherever there's a comeback, there's a meltdown in the other city as well. So uh, next question for you, Jonathan. I don't even know if that was really a question. It was just like, can you believe what happened in all these games? <laughs> Uh, the drama of the NFL. And, and you're right that, yes, uh, games are being played closer than they ever have before. And, I mean, it might just be a product of so many middling teams. I mean, we can really only look at four, five teams that sort of rise above everyone else. I would say Kansas City, Buffalo, Philly, Dallas, San Francisco. And I think that that is really it for, you know, for the, the elite teams. That leaves... 27 other teams <laughs> that you could see and and even you know surprisingly like Chicago played hard against Philly and we saw Houston like these teams are not giving up except for I guess Indianapolis when they're up 33. 
With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Okay, so anyway, next question or first question, whichever way you want to look at it. Bill Barnwell of ESPN came up with 19 teams that could be looking for new quarterbacks next year. I would like you to make some predictions around the league of what quarterback situations will look like. And by the way, I saw this today. It's worth noting since we were just talking about last week's games that Washington is in a playoff spot right now, but Ron Rivera would not really commit to Taylor Heineke continuing to be his quarterback. Look, Taylor Heineke's not good at no. all. I mean, he had a run that was kind of fun, but everyone has to be looking at that going like, we're actually a really good football team. Mm-hmm. You might have to go back to Carson Wentz as weird as that is. So that's, yeah. I mean, talk about an unfavorable situation to have a really great roster with those two guys as your quarterbacks, but the magic definitely ran out on Taylor Heineke. So let's put Washington as one of those teams. That's going to have a new quarterback, uh, make some predictions about some other ones, Jonathan. All right. I'm not going to go all 19, but I've got a couple here that I went through. And after reading his list, I like some of his suggestions, but I'm going to kind of go off the wall with some of these Derek Carr will be on the move for sure. It doesn't seem like that's going to work out there. That contract is very favorable for the Raiders to get out of. So I I assume they'll want to move on because of another guy coming up later on my list here. Uh, Are the Titans a threat to go get him? If they move on from Ryan Tannehill, could the Falcons take a swing at them at him? Because they've kind of played themselves out of one of those top draft picks uh, because the NFC South is just atrocious and they just got wins by being in the NFC South. So they're not going to get one of those top picks anymore. So they'll need, kind of a guy to take them from here and what better guy to get than Derek Carr. Cause then just use your draft picks on use your rookie contracts on other positions to load up on. Yeah. You're not getting the benefit of the rookie quarterback contract, but look, you're not going to get that because you played yourself out of that position. So go get Derek Carr. You might be able to swing some kind of a deal because he's Derek Carr and he's coming off of getting rid of a $200 million contract in, in Las Vegas. Uh, Baltimore would be insane, insane to let, Lamar Jackson go but let's just walk this through if he does for some reason decide they can't come to an agreement I think there's legitimately only three teams in the NFL who wouldn't go after him and I think that's the Bills Chiefs and Bengals every other team Dallas included Philadelphia included should take a swing at Lamar Jackson because he's better than every other quarterback that's out there maybe the Chargers are on that list too with Justin Herbert and Miami maybe with Tua but Lamar Jackson I think would be a legitimate threat to go to any other team other than those three that those three or four that I labeled there. Um, Jared Goff is in an interesting situation because the Lions have been great over the past seven weeks. Like their offense is outstanding, but because the Rams are garbage and the Lions have their pick, the Lions still have a top five overall pick in the NFL, in the NFL draft this coming season. So they'll get they'll have to take one of those top quarterbacks because they'll be up there in perfect position to take it to take them, use that rookie quarterback contract to your advantage, load up everywhere else on that roster, pay some of the guys who have been playing well, and uh, flourish like every other team that's used that rookie quarterback contract uh, well, like the Chiefs have in the past. Use that to your advantage. So Jared Goff will be on the move. Could he stay in the division if Aaron Rodgers moves on? He played for Matt LaFleur in Los Angeles back in 2017. Could he just say, I like the NFC North? Let's try outside in Green Bay because maybe they don't trust Jer- or uh, Jordan Love. They don't want to give him that fifth-year option. Let's take a swing on on Jared Goff. Tannehill might be an option there as well because LaFleur has the connection with him there. My uh, my last one here, Brady, still wants to play for some reason, even though it doesn't look good. We've already mentioned my Raiders in this, in this list already. They're going to get rid of Derek Carr. Who else is a better fit for Josh McDaniels' offense than the guy who's flourished in it for 20 years? in Tom Brady. And he does, I don't imagine he's going to want to go back to back up to the cold of Boston. So why not head to uh, the glitz, the glamor, the lights, the spotlight of Las Vegas when you're in the midst of a midlife crisis, like Tom Brady seems to be in what better way to work things out than go to Las Vegas and play your final years of the NFL football. 
Uh, I would say this. It's not called hot routes for no reason because all of that was just blazing hot. There's probably, I mean, I'm sure there's more than three teams that wouldn't go after Lamar Jackson, but it would be a lot. I mean, for sure. When you go up and down the entire NFL, there's a, I mean, you mentioned 19 teams and all of those teams uh, that need quarterbacks would be going after Lamar Jackson. Uh, probably not like Cleveland that just gave out the biggest yeah, you know, guaranteed money. I'm sure with contracts thrown in there, you could figure like a few other teams would be out of that conversation. But you saw with Watson how many teams made the phone call and Lamar Jackson doesn't have any of the uh, extracurricular issues yeah. that Deshaun Watson did. So I don't think you're wrong in saying that you know, the majority of the league is at least checking in to say, hey, you know, are you sure where, where you might be headed there? Uh, I think that Jared Goff will stay, and maybe that's a hot take that as their quarterback for next year. I don't think that the Lions are going to draft a quarterback because Jared Goff operated the offense at the level that he did. I think they're going to look at it and say, look, I mean, you can get a top five offense with Jared Goff running it, even if we do have to scheme a lot of stuff. Uh, the weapons are young. Amon Ross St. Brown, rookie contract. Jamison Williams, rookie contract. They've built up a pretty good offensive line for him to play behind, drafting there for years. And I still look at that defense as having some pretty serious weaknesses. So I think they'll go that way. If they decided, no, we're going to draft C.J. Stroud, uh, then they could move on. But I think that would be a little weird for them, considering that they've made noise so they're going to want to carry that over and be a legitimate contender, not try to train a rookie quarterback. So that is an interesting one. Ryan Tannehill is as well. He's proven that he could play at a high level. He's been so banged up, though, the last two years that you have to worry. And that guy's like, what, 33 or 34? Yeah. I mean, you have to worry how much longer he's going to be able to play at even a fairly high level with the amount of injuries that he's had. Remember, he missed that whole year in Miami when I think, what, he tore his ACL or something. So he's had quite a few of those injuries along the way that uh, have to have Tennessee concerned about keeping him around. But that's an interesting shuffle where I want to know is where Jimmy Garoppolo ends up because I think New York makes a lot of sense. You mentioned that, you know, that LaFleur type of system uh, Matt LaFleur was in San Francisco as well. Uh, is that right? Or at least it's the same system. Um, that was his connection to Robert Sala, right? Is that same system? Yeah. So if you're playing a similar system with Garrett Wilson, with some other weapons there, with an offensive line you've drafted quite a bit, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, Mekhi Becton presumably will come back. You've got a good situation. Uh, Brees Hall really showed that he could play. That sounds very San Franciscan. And if you're looking at Zach Wilson, I mean, Robert Sala has been defending him a lot. I don't know what other option you have. He's your quarterback at this moment. Yeah. But I think the guy has shown very little that he could play. And if you have a chance to plug in a Jimmy Garoppolo in a situation where you know you have a good chance to win with a roster that's built up over the years and has gotten its salary cap in good shape, that makes a lot of sense to me. Now, the guy that I'm really interested in, and maybe there's a Colts possibility here, is Kyler Murray. Like, that is just a toxic situation I think the Colts recognize they're going to have to take a step back before they take a step forward. So even though he tore his ACL, they don't need him to come back right away because they're not going to be a contender for next year. And Arizona doesn't seem to like him. He doesn't like to seem to, or he doesn't seem to like them. And Cliff Kingsbury, those two sides are not getting along. Kyler Murray to Indianapolis is very interesting to me. Uh, I think the Houston Texans will just draft someone but I also thought of them for Kyler Murray as well. Like at some point the Texans have to, I would assume try to play good football someday ever <laughs> again in their history. So I thought of them as another team that you could call up Arizona and be like, so what are you going to do there? I want to know who's playing quarterback for the Rams next year. If Matthew yeah. Stafford does not come back and looks and uh, say Sean McVay retires and goes to a booth, what does that mean? I mean, do they go with Baker Mayfield? Do they try to acquire someone because you still have Cooper Cup? You know, you still have some players there that are in their primes and good. I mean, you don't really want Aaron Donald to retire. You want to believe that there's going to be something there. I mean, there is a lot of shuffling that could potentially happen. I don't know who the quarterback of the Giants is next year. Like, is it Daniel Jones because he's stable and they've won games, but he hasn't played very well. 
They, I mean, they've kind of just gotten lucky at the end of a lot of games, including against Washington, due to a pass interference call that was or non-call that was insane. Uh, yeah. So, I, I, like, they've had a lot of those last-second wins, and I don't think that Daniel Jones really has been at the center of that. So there's so much that's going to change from right now until next year with quarterbacks. Yeah, I think that Rams one is very underrated because, yeah, Matthew Stafford came out today on his wife's podcast saying that he's definitively not retiring, but it's the middle of the season. Who knows what he says at the end of the season or the offseason after he's had a couple more months of just time off and just thinking about it and hanging out with his family and realizing, yeah, maybe I do like spending time with my kids and not getting the living tar beat out of me week in and week out by an offensive line that doesn't really exist anymore after some of their key guys retired after winning the Super Bowl. So I and. Yeah, Baker Mayfield had the miraculous comeback win in his first game, what, 24 hours after joining the team? But he didn't look good Monday night against the Packers. I mean, that looked like the Baker Mayfield we've all come to know at this point in in his career. So do they stick with them and try and work it out? I don't know, but it all really hinges on what happens to that head coaching position because whoever takes over after Sean McVay has a really tough situation to manage because they've got no draft picks. They've got no cap space. They burned it all trying to win the Super Bowl, and they did. Congratulations. As you said, the banners fly forever. But after that, after after Sean McVay leaves, after Aaron Donald retires, after uh, Matthew Stafford leaves, there's nothing. That is a bare cupboard in Los Angeles, and that's going to be a long time to try and rebuild there with no draft picks until what? Or no first-round draft picks until, I think, like, what, 2027? It's ridiculous how far they've traded out their first-round draft picks trying to bring in talent. So, that one is very interesting because I don't know that a quarterback would want to go there if they don't have anything to anybody to throw to or anybody to play with. Yeah, I think if McVay decides to step away, that maybe yeah. that might change Stafford. But Stafford really should retire. I mean, he's got the ring. He's got the stats. He has got so many injuries and multiple concussions this year. Like, it's time, man, because if yeah. you keep playing with all those injuries and you don't have the great team around you and everything else, so you don't have McVay around you, you're just going to be sad at the end and you're going to look like Matt Ryan. I know he's very competitive with Matt Ryan. Uh, that uh, They've shown it on every broadcast those two ever played against each other, that they like grew up together or something. I forget exactly what the story is, but uh, maybe when Matt Ryan retires, it'll change his yeah. mind. Matt Ryan should have retired like halftime on <laughs> Saturday. So uh, next question for you, Jonathan. Aaron Rodgers slammed a story from The Athletic on the Pat McAfee show, calling it the dumbest story of the year. And he claimed that the story used anonymous sources that talked about his hand signals and how receivers didn't understand them, especially young receivers. Well, the problem is that it cited 11 players on the record. So not anonymous sources and it quoted them directly. And I saw one of the most notable quotes came from Amari Rogers, who the Packers got rid of and now plays for the Texans. That does not seem to be anonymous when it says Amari Rogers said. So I think that just like me in high school, Aaron Rodgers did not do the reading and then tried to make it up as he went along, because that's just what he does. Every critical story, he goes on Pat mm-hmm. McAfee's show and he just criticizes them back and name calls and whatever else. I will admit that the toe story was very weird and maybe he had a legitimate argument against that one. But some of the other ones about what kind of teammate he is and everything else, he's really shown his entire rear end over the last couple of years doing those appearances on the Pat McAfee show. And he especially did here making it very clear that he didn't actually read the article. Anyway, I think that Aaron Rodgers might go down as the most unlikable, and this is even from people that I follow or know that like the Packers or that have followed them for their entire lifetimes that are so frustrated and annoyed by Aaron Rodgers. He might go down as the most unlikable Hall of Fame quarterback of all time. And I would not take a single percentage point away from his accomplishments and his greatness as an NFL quarterback. But as a dude, uh, the more you talk, the dumber you sound uh, when it comes to him over these last couple of years. And then the way that he's handled himself with the Packers in general uh, has been very unimpressive with Aaron Rodgers. So anyway, I would like you to tell me your most and least likable Hall of Fame or future Hall of Fame quarterbacks, John. 
Yeah, I totally agree on Aaron Rodgers being completely unlikable. He'll he'll be in my bottom three for sure. Uh, for most likable, I think, and this might be a recency bias, it's got to be Pete, Peyton and Eli because of uh, their humor and their how they kind of just come off, especially on on the Manning cast. It's it's fun to watch. It's not I don't tune in every week, but when I do, it's it's always a blast. They just seem to be having fun, and it just seems like those two are very likable guys, whether they uh, are that in real life. They do put that on in the media and on camera. So I think those guys are up there. Terry Bradshaw's got to be up there, the way he's built his media career of being this crazy, fun guy on Fox's pregame show. Uh, makes him pretty likable, and what other QB, current or former, is letting you win their money, whether it's actually his money or not, Fox. I don't know. Probably not. Uh, Troy Aikman, for me, has really come around. I don't know why. I just didn't like him in the past, but something over the past couple of years has really changed. And I kind of started liking him. And now, especially on ESPN, him showing a little bit more personality. I, I do like Troy Aikman a lot more. Uh, Kurt Warner's probably on a bunch of people's lists as well because of the story and what he had to battle through. My bottom three got to be Favre and Rogers. Favre for obvious reasons more recently. And back in New York as well. Uh, Rogers, as we already said, is very unlikable. But another another guy I had trouble coming up with, but I think Brady would have to be in there too. Yeah, he had to turn around the past couple of years, but this season, this offseason, kind of wishy-washy on retiring. Also, the story coming out, him trying to work his way to becoming a owner player with the Dolphins. Uh, it seemed like he had moved the head coach in Tampa out of there so he could have more control over the team. I don't know. It just seems like Brady's kind of reverting back to the – mid 2000s Brady that everyone across the country outside of Boston really hated. So I think Brady might be on that bottom three, although he did have what a five, six year run where he was very likable. It seemed. So I think that's my bottom three in my top four, five. And again, this is not to take away from any accomplishments. It's only yes, to talk absolutely. about the likability. So when you'd say Brady and he was on my list as well, uh, deflate gate, the yep. video gate, whatever we call that, um, spy gate. Uh, so you had multiple cheating scandals and then even recently another cheating scandal. Uh, he called, he claimed that he was calling a guy the deflator because he was fat and lost weight. Like, okay. Uh, right. th- those things cannot be ignored. Right. Uh, I think that also yeah, Tom has used social media really to his advantage to change uh, the outlook of, of who he is. And I think that he's the ultimate all-time competitor, which sometimes does not come off the best or stay within the rules. But, um, you know, I, I, I don't think that overall, and this year has not helped it at all, he's ever really been that likable unless you're a huge fan of his. And I am a huge fan of the way he plays football. So like, again, let's not mistake that this is the smartest quarterback, the most accurate quarterback, the most nails in crunch time, the gutsiest, I mean, everything with him, but as far as likability is definitely had his bouts against it. Ben Roethlisberger, we don't have to get into it, but yeah. you all know why. Yep. And again, a guy who, a guy who just you know, I couldn't get enough of watching him play when he was at his prime. I mean, he was people were bouncing off him. He would run around. He was gutsy. The game-winning pass in the Super Bowl, what a dime to the back of the end zone to win the Super Bowl. It doesn't get any more majestic than that. But he's not exactly the most likable character for the way that he acted. And then he was able to rebuild some of his reputation. But, you know, it always felt more contrived than anything uh, with Ben Roethlisberger. I had trouble coming up with a third one that I thought was as unlikable as those guys. I, I actually thought of Troy Aikman for this list for being unlikable because of his broadcast career, because I think that, you know, anytime you're doing it for a long time, everyone thinks that. Yeah. You hate their team and everything else, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm kind of like, whatever. I, I don't think that he's either way. Uh, Phil Sims, I don't believe is in the Hall of Fame, but people really came to hate Phil Sims. So that's another great quarterback that people got really, really annoyed with uh, the longer <laughs> he was on TV. And I think at some point he just became like incapable of being on TV. Those guys in the 80s took a lot of hits. So I struggled with the third one outside of Aaron Rodgers because trying to match Aaron Rodgers' level of unlikability is difficult. So 
Uh, as far as well, and and Favre is another one where it's like Favre was one of the most likable quarterbacks of all time when he was playing, but the mm-hmm. post stuff is just to the point where Jeff Perlman saying, "Don't even read my book about Brett Favre." Uh, so it's just gross. So like you went kind of how some of their post career stuff has yeah. gone to be on the list. And I think that's a fair way to do it. As far as most likable quarterbacks, tell me uh, Joe Montana is not the number one most likable quarterback, maybe in the history of God's green earth. I mean, Joe cool, all the clutch plays, the super bowls, the leadership. And my favorite because of my age and when this happened was when he went to Kansas city and there was nothing left in this man. I mean, the tank was empty There's no arm there whatsoever. He couldn't move around like he did in his prime where he was a tremendous athlete and he got it done. They won games. They won a lot of games. And and he had this amazing comeback against John Elway, who again is another one of the most likable Um, as far as Elway's ownership of the Broncos spotty spotty, but you can't really hold it against him. I would have gotten Russell Wilson too. Uh, (laughs) But I think John Elway has long been one of the most likable quarterbacks. Just the way that he played, the way he carried himself. His jersey's always covered in mud. He throws the ball harder than anybody else of all time. He would be up there on my list. Um, And, you know, I think also, like, Eli Manning is a great pick by you, so I won't take that one. I think Phillip Rivers gets in the Hall of Fame, and I want to throw Phillip Rivers out there for somebody who came so close so many times but was so much fun like, players who left everything they had out there. And uh, just another guy who's not in the Hall of Fame will probably never get there. Randall Cunningham deserves to be on the list for the most likable quarterbacks. So much fun, completely changed the game. The comeback in 98 to run that offense where he didn't have his legs anymore. I mean, just such a cool, cool, fun quarterback to watch. Um, So, yeah, there's a a lot of – uh, you know, a lot of potential options here. And in the, you know, in the chat, we've got Staubach and Fran Tarkenton, which of course the totally like, yeah, that's going way back. So I didn't see those guys, but if we're right. talking about historically, uh, you know, playmakers from the day and you mentioned Terry Bradshaw, you know, he had the big giant arm throwing it down the field and, and those great teams. So there's a lot more likable than there is unlikable, but I needed to find a way to talk about Aaron Rodgers not even reading the article before calling it out in front of a million people or whatever. Good job, Aaron. Uh, let me get to, let's get to the uh, last two questions here. Uh, Thursday night is actually pretty huge. And if you're listening to this after Thursday, you'll know what happened. So I didn't frame the question that way. Uh, which of these teams that has uh, that missed the playoffs last year, would you feel the best about if they made it this year? Because obviously the Jets and Jags, it's been a while. Yeah, I think for me, it's got to be the Jaguars just because what they had to deal with last year and because of our Trevor Lawrence takes a couple weeks ago, I want to see that pay off and get to the to the playoffs this year and see him kind of start to take off and getting to the playoffs, coming back and winning that division as the Titans are kind of just gifting it to them at this point. I want to see the Jaguars get into the playoffs. I want them to see – I want – to see Urban Meyer get put down another notch because he's just an unlikable human being. He's up there with Aaron Rodgers as one of the most unlikable human beings to be in professional football in the last decade. And so yeah, just seeing the team that Urban Meyer had put out there get to the playoffs the year after he gets canned, that'd be just, that'd be the cherry on the top of that cake for the Jaguars. For me, it's the chargers because of Justin Herbert. Remember how they missed the playoffs last year? Oh, I mean, just on the very <laughs> last- tied. They taught they yeah they taught was it a tie or Daniel Carlson kicked the field goal then they didn't tie that's what happened right yeah they didn't they yeah. could have tied and got into the playoffs and just back both teams would have backed their way in right and if I remember correctly the Raiders were going to let it happen mm-hmm. and then the Chargers did something they and called the timeout like yeah they, oh they called timeout that's right and so the Raiders were like oh well whatever okay I guess we're we'll going to win the game right so they the worst possible way to miss the playoffs last year, Justin Herbert. I mean, when you look at the AFC, if Justin Herbert is involved, oh my gosh, these offenses, Allen, Mahomes, Burrow, Lamar, Herbert, Miami's offense with Tua running. I mean, wow. Uh, that That's just all sorts of firepower. So I would love to see them get back into the playoffs. Um, I think that, you know, the Dolphins, 
you can't feel good for them because of their owner and the fact that they tried to get rid of Tua and yeah. bring in Brady. But at the same time, like they've been sputtering for a while. And I, I just like Tua a lot. Like you think about the concussion thing that he went through and how scary that was. I wasn't sure if the guy was ever going to play again. And now to have a chance to be in the MVP conversation, though, I think that's clearly Mahomes. And uh, to be in, in the playoffs is really good for him just in general. I would also say that the New York Giants, if they are to get into the playoffs, Joe Judge, you're talking about bad coaches. He was right up there with Urban Meyer for the most inept coaches that set that franchise back and to have Brian Dable step in, create a winner out of them, even if it's maybe not the most legit or the most competitive, the New York giants are a playoff franchise. They're like one of these historically great franchises. It's just been miserable to watch them be so bad. And look, if you don't want with two, two different things, if you don't want the lions in, you have no soul. Yeah. That is the most woebegone yep. franchise in sports. It's been so long. They've been so bad. And if you don't love Man Campbell and all the things he brings to the table, the passion of that guy, I just don't know what to tell you. Like that, that, that is equals more fun playoffs. If you have that Detroit Lions offense, Dan Campbell, like everything that goes along with that franchise, how bad they've been. Like you should be rooting for them no matter what. Even if uh, you're a Vikings fan listening to this and you don't want to play them, uh, you have to appreciate that. And the other one I would say is that if you're not rooting for one of those other NFC South teams to take over the yes. Bucks, you have again, you have no soul because that would be so funny. Carolina on the Panthers, yeah, they missed their shot. I mean, maybe it looks like they did. They, and because they're, you know, they were playing the Steelers with Mitch Trubisky in and they missed their opportunity. The New Orleans Saints are not out of this. Like the Saints still have enough talent to somehow win a couple of games and get into this thing. Maybe. Yeah, but the Panthers, you look at their schedule over the last three games, they had to play the Lions. So that's going to be a tough one. They're probably going to lose that. So, yeah, as you said, they probably missed their shot. But then they have to go to the Buccaneers and the Saints. So I don't know. That team seems to have a certain level of juice under Steve Wilkes that I don't know. I like them. I like what they've become after getting rid of Matt rule and they got rid of Baker Mayfield. And all of a sudden they seem to be likable and people are rooting for them just because they don't want to see Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers just kind of creak their way into the playoffs as that old roster is. I, I want to see the yeah. Panthers do it. Anybody, but the bucks, it would yeah. just be hilarious and no one deserves it. So no, absolutely no not. one deserves it. I want the funniest option. And if we're actually talking about the best football, it might be the saints because the saints actually have some weapons. They have some yeah. players on defense. Like, I think that they haven't really just gotten run out of buildings this year. They're just like supremely mediocre. Uh, so last question real quick, the Texans could wrap up the number one seed with a loss I'm sure they're going to pick a quarterback. I don't know which if you've got an opinion on which one. I feel like Will Levis is almost a guarantee here that they'll not pick one of the other guys, uh, Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud, but who knows? Uh, I think Bryce Young's probably the best quarterback prospect. How long until that team is competitive again, and are they the most irrelevant team in all of pro sports? You know the Pittsburgh Pirates exist, right? a pretty irrelevant team they they get a star and then they trade him away pretty much immediately as he becomes a star and they are content their owners are content on just be, just being a very terrible team and raking in the cash that MLE brings in I would say the Pittsburgh Pirates are very irrelevant more irrelevant than maybe the Houston Texans though the Texans have been they had one good run under Gary Kubiak and that's about it for the entirety of their franchise in the 20 years that they've been a franchise it just hasn't been good there. They had Andre Johnson. They wasted Andre Johnson, one of my favorite receivers of all times, and they just wasted him. And I, I don't know. I, I want to see them succeed, but also like you, I feel like they're not going to take Bryce Bryce Young or CJ Stroud. They're going to take, they're going to take the third options. You're like, why, why would you do that? It's going to feel like a very Houston Texans move. Or the I would or uh, Will Anderson, who's a defensive player, yeah. like just because they're right. the Texans, and you never know. <laughs> Oh man, if they don't go with a quarterback at all and like, yeah, Daniel or Davis Mills is our guy. That would just it was just Who, like your... you you literally cannot predict what the Houston Texans will do. I think that they probably will take uh, yeah. a quarterback now that Jack Easterby is out of the building, but uh who I think the NFL knows? will make them take a quarterback. 
Like, I think you don't that, get to select anybody else. Right. Yeah. Like, please get relevant uh, at some point. I mean, Deshaun Watson was the closest thing they had since those Gary Kubiak years of being a relevant team. And that went down the drain, uh, as you know, with the situation. But um, I think the Sacramento Kings have a really good case for this. And the Kings aren't too bad this year. And our friend Rami is now out there in Sacramento doing uh, doing Kings. We got to get him on an episode of Hot Routes. But they've missed the playoffs since, what, Chris Webber was there? And they're in Sacramento. So yeah. I think there's a pretty good case. Being the, being the second team of Texas, though, and never winning is pretty tough. Um, I mean, you, there's a lot of hockey teams. You could say like the Columbus blue jackets, they're yes. pretty far down there. As far as relevance goes, at least Houston is a big market, even though it's probably 97% Dallas Cowboys fans, but Columbus blue jackets, they never win. You know, they, they've had you're a the second, of- you're the second team in your town and you're the professional team. The other team ahead of you is a college team. Like that's not a good sign. You, it's not remotely win. close either. Yeah. Like, it's, no, it's uh, not- you know, so they're kind of a minor league hockey city in a way. Sorry if you live in Columbus and you love the Blue Jackets, but you know they never get anywhere. Um, so yeah, and some of those others that like the Calgary Flames, you know, whatever. It, it, but at least where they are, they're big. Um, yeah. I don't think that the Houston Texans are big where they are. Um, so no, they, there's... as you said, it's Texas. That is a state that worships football to the highest degree, like Argentina worships soccer and good for them over this last weekend. But yeah, if you're not going to be good at football in Texas, why do you even exist? And the Texans are just there and they don't seem, it seems like their fan base just doesn't care at this point because they've been so bad for so long and so mismanaged for so long as well. Another key point. Don't make a Jersey out of the American flag for God's sake. Yeah. No. Also, can we, can we change their jerseys and the Panthers jerseys. Both those teams have had their jerseys since they came into the league. Let's let's switch things up here. Let's let's get some Fine. new jersey design here. It's grown you know, stale. I'm not even joking when I tell you the XFL's Houston Roughnecks had cooler jerseys than the Houston <laughs> Texans. Yes. That's the, I think I think they're bottom three in all of sports in so many areas and jerseys are another. But that is for uh, that's for a summer episode of Hot Routes. So anyway, <laughs> lots lots to watch this week in terms of the playoff races. So if you are new to hot routes, we do it every Tuesday night. Uh, Go check out the podcast feed. Uh, We have a lot of fun with five questions around the NFL, as you could probably tell. And we do that for every episode. So thanks so much, everybody for watching, and we will see you next week.